the past couple weeks, I think we've gotten a pretty good glimpse uh, at Jesus's life and his relationship to the scriptures. We've seen the ways he's used the scriptures in relationship to his teaching, as he interacts with the Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers of the day, his disciples, and even Satan himself. And I think there's no doubt in any of our minds, especially after the study we've done, the scriptures played a central and essential role in both Jesus's life and ministry. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, of course, Bethany, he was a rabbi, so he had to do this for his job, so he knew them and all that. And I would say, yes, you're totally right, because you're brilliant, well done. Um, But I would also argue that upon closer examination, the study of the scriptures for Jesus measured far beyond academia or a job he was fulfilling to a more personal and compelling reality. For Jesus, it seems scripture was not as much a tool or an instrument or even a weapon as it was part of how he viewed and interacted with both God and the world. Both from a historical knowledge of rabbis to the account we're given here in the gospels, uh, we see that the integration of scripture in Jesus's life was paramount to the work he did with his disciples and to those around him. Meaning that there was and probably is much more to this practice of knowing the scriptures than meets the eye. Uh, quick question for you. How many of you were part of a church uh, from a young age? You went to church, you were small. You went to the Sunday school, whatever it was. Oh, good, good for you. There's a lot more than uh, this morning. And how many of you had to memorize scripture in your Sunday school class or your Wednesday night program? Some of you are Awanas people. Bless you. Some of you in here, I know about some of my community, little Awanas people. And uh, those were good times, weren't they? Uh, I was thinking back on it and even reflecting on it with my sister, and I was so disappointed with my past self. Do you know what I mean? I was, I was willing to memorize so little or so much scripture for so little candy. And I feel like that was something I would do differently. Anybody else? It's like, I'll give you two verses, but up the now and laters. Do you know what I mean? I'm a now and later person. Anybody? I like to pull those fillings right out of my teeth. Now, of course, life here in America is different than life in the ancient Near East. It's hard to imagine Jesus at Awanas. You know, Jesus is like a spark or a cubby and with the vest and the whole. That's a funny image, yeah. Or Jesus like meeting Bible man, anybody? Yeah, so be blessed if you were part of that time. If you weren't, again, bless you, you're in a different zone than we are. Yet, what we know from Jesus' life is that from a young age, he spent time in the temple like we did, learning and memorizing and meditating on the scriptures. Jesus, the cubby, you know? And that means that he was making this practice of getting the scriptures into both his heart and mind a significant priority. So often I think when we think about integrating scripture into our lives, we think of fluorescent lights or floral flashcards. Uh, And we think about all the impossibilities uh, of that being accessible to us, like I can't memorize scripture or whatever it may be. Or we think about how helpful in theory memorizing scripture is, but how helpful really? You know, I have this little machine here that I can just speak like a half semi-verse to. Anybody this week? It's like, trust in the Lord. I don't know. Trust in the Lord. Find the verse that says trust in the Lord. Do you know what I mean? And somehow she finds it or one similar and I'm satisfied. And, and it's really brought me to a place where I've often thought, why do I need to know this, really? I mean, I have this all accessible to me. Why do I really need to know it? Why do I need to have it in me, memorize it, meditate on it, all of that? Well, today we're gonna look at Jesus's relationship to the scriptures a little bit more in depth. And in that, I'm gonna try to answer some of these questions. So look down with me at Matthew chapter four. That's where you should be. And we'll just look down at verse 10 together. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, that was easy, huh? 
Yeah, you're feeling good? Now, this text and verse should be familiar to a lot of you. We've actually referenced it uh, twice in the past two weeks. <laughs> so if you're not familiar, okay, uh, you should listen to the podcast. Now, if you're not, it's here that we find Jesus in the wilderness with Satan. When Satan comes to uh, tempt him, Jesus' response every single time is with scriptures. And it's been said that Jesus resists temptation here by quoting the scriptures, and I think that's true. But I also wonder, as I looked at this text this week, if there was something else taking place. If in the quoting of scripture, Jesus was also calling to mind the story from which this verse comes. Here, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. He's referencing back to Israel's history when they would be first receiving the Ten Commandments. And now, I know, of course, we can't know for sure what he was thinking, but I can't help but wonder if beyond combating the enemy with the truth of Scripture, which, by the way, is powerful in and of itself, he was also able to call to mind the story of the Israelites and how Yahweh met and was faithful to them in the wilderness. What, in this moment, uh, when confronted with the enemy, did that do, I wonder, for his heart and his faith? How did it shape his belief of himself and where he was at and what he was facing? And again, we don't know, but what we do know is that the scripture was in him. And what was happening as he spoke it out to the enemy was much more than an intellectual rebuttal. Now, this is one example. Let's look at a few more. Turn in your Bible to the right, to Matthew chapter 11. And look down with me at verses four and five. Some of y'all are killing that Bible drill. Yeah, okay. I hear that. Cubbies and sparks all in here. Verse four, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now here, Jesus is sending a message to John the Baptist um, through John's disciples. You guys remember John the Baptist? Yeah, great, you do. Well done, good good for you. And John, uh, in this text, was in prison. He was facing death. And in a desperate and vulnerable moment, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he was, in so many words, the Messiah. Now, there's a ton to this text. I know a really brilliant preacher who preached on this. So if you want to go back and listen to it, go ahead and be blessed by that. Uh, but I want, what I want you to focus on in the... the okay. <laughs> what I want you to focus on is Jesus' response here. We see Jesus tell John's disciples that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is language from Isaiah chapter 35, and it's all about this day of the coming and the inauguration of the kingdom of God, including the coming of the Messiah. So Jesus then uses scripture to respond to John's question, and he does it brilliantly. While he could have just given John a simple yes, which is what most of us would have done, yeah, I'm the Messiah, John, relax. Uh, We see that Jesus responds to the scriptures that actually foretold truths about what would happen when the Messiah finally came. Again, revealing beyond Jesus' true academic brilliance, a thoughtful and deep veracity to his response to John. He was not placating him. He wasn't minimizing him. You know, people throw out scriptures to you to try to make you feel better, and you're like, that did not help. Uh, Right? He wasn't doing any of that. He wasn't minimizing it by quoting a scripture passage to him. In fact, it seems he was saying something so much more to John in his response. By quoting this passage, Jesus is reminding John of who he is and what he can do, what he has and he will do. And he's also reminding John of the realities of the kingdom that he was a part of, that there was a Messiah for whom he cleared the way 
that everything that had happened up until this moment was true. From his birth to his calling to the baptism of Jesus, everything John had leaned into, Jesus is basically saying was worth it. And Jesus, by quoting this passage, calls John to find comfort in whatever lay ahead because the kingdom of God had been inaugurated. And in that, reminding him to have hope. Now, that's another one. Next, one more, Matthew chapter 22. Turn your right. We're gonna look at verse 34 to 37. Verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Great. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now here we find Jesus being questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the day. And in this moment, they were trying to trap and embarrass Jesus with a question they thought would be impossible for him to answer in a way where he would actually come out on top. So Jesus, as he often did, responded to them with a quote from the Torah or from the scriptures. And what he quotes is something called the Shema from Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 6, which is a prayer that Jewish people even today should pray regularly and daily. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Sadducees would have known this prayer, this scripture backwards and forwards. Now, before they can say a thing, Jesus jumps in and keeps moving on his sentence, and he adds this text from Leviticus 19. And by adding another scripture to his response, he answers their question fully, leaving no room for them to argue. So we see Jesus use the scriptures here in a way that both protected and also provoked the listener to think differently about life and what was central to it. He used the scriptures as he often did to re-emphasize what was most important and also to invite listeners to think and respond to the scriptures and life in a new way altogether. And these, my friends, are just three examples. Over and over again, all throughout the scriptures, we see Jesus regularly use and call upon them to bring truth and hope and comfort to himself, (laughs) to other people, to his disciples, to those who followed him and to those who didn't. So when it comes to the scriptures and Jesus, we see that they were something he knew inside and out. They were something he had memorized and not just for the purpose of memorizing it out of obligation, but it seems he did so so that he could actually internalize God's words. We see that his knowledge of the scripture actually allowed him to explain about a lot of things that were happening in the world, including his own messiahship in ways he wouldn't have been able to do that without them. Another way to say this is the scripture supported and even revealed to the people who God really was. And he's still doing that today. In Matthew chapter five, verse 17, Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law, which was another way to say, I was the one you were waiting for. I'm the one you've been praying for and hoping for. I came to fulfill all the prophecies that you've heard about me. I'm the guy. And scripture not only embraced and embodied that reality, but it also testified to who he really was. We see him use scripture to bring truth where there are lies. We see him fight temptation and the schemes of the enemy with scripture. We also see him uh, both embody and obey scripture in such a way that it actually shaped his mind and informed his actions. And those two things became connected. And it's from that place we see a deeper space of communion with God himself. The scriptures in Jesus' life brought forth comfort and counsel to people like we see with John. And it was one of the primary ways in which he declared the good news of the kingdom of God. My point. 
is that Jesus' life and ministry cannot be separated from a deep practice of knowing and embodying the scriptures. And as his disciples, there's something in that for us. The practice of knowing and embodying is directly connected to the practice of meditation. In the Hebrew rabbinic study of the scriptures, the tradition Jesus would have practiced, there was an expectation that every rabbi and every Jew would do this. And while there's no actual command to memorize God's word, there are commands all throughout the scriptures to both know it and meditate it and put it in your heart and put it in your hands and put it on your doorpost. Know the word of God, know the scriptures. Meditation, despite what culture in our yoga class has presented to us, is not the emptying of our mind, but it's actually the filling of it uh, with thoughts that, that hopefully will catalyze in us, that's the purpose of it, to fill your mind with things that would catalyze hope and rest and peace within you. So the heart behind this practice and expectation was that the Jewish people wouldn't simply experience, memorize, or listen to God's word as a religious ritual, but that they would actually know it meaning they would have ruminated on it so much that they would actually be able to call the words to mind and experience and live into the power of the words as well. This practice or idea of meditation or memorization is connected to what neuroscientists are using to inform both mental mapping and the work around neuroplasticity. And in it all, at the heart of neuroscience, because I'm a doctor, uh, uh, you'll find this constant refrain, uh, what you believe and think about, your, about you shapes your reality. What you believe and what you think about actually shapes your reality. John Ortberg recently put it this way. He says, we become like what we give our attention to. We're spiritually formed or held captive by the words or thoughts in our minds. And so we see in Jesus and in science that all points to this reality. We won't be able to divorce our thought life from our spiritual life. The two are deeply interconnected, making then what we think about, the words and the thoughts we have in our minds as disciples of Jesus, one of our highest priorities. Meaning we've got to figure out how to get God's words into us. But that's easier said than done, right? Yes, yes, it is. The mind's a tricky place, anybody? Anybody got a weird mind? I mean, don't share it too in depth, but yeah, you do, trust me. It's not just me up here. Anyway, what we think about isn't always helpful, right? In fact, many of us have wrong patterns of thinking due to emotional injury, narratives from our family of origin, words spoken out by other people over us or about us. Even today, some of you had some words spoken out over you or that impacted you, that shaped how you entered into this room today. What we think about shapes how we engage. For me, I know this is uh, bizarre, but every Sunday morning, I usually get some kind of weird weird train of thinking in my mind about what I look like. And um, you can be like, you're so lame. Okay, uh, let me explain a little bit more about that. I'm sure I am in my own right. I got new glasses and nobody said anything. So yeah, I feel <laughs> insecure about that. But for me, every Sunday morning, I'm putting on makeup and the enemy's like, you are gross. You are ugly, whatever it may be. And that's, that's my name. I don't need you to tell me how pretty I am after, unless you're single. Uh, <laughs> But it's this mind game where the enemy comes for me, anybody else. And, and the reason I think he does it on Sunday mornings is because this is the day I need to show up to God's people, to God's spirit. This is the time when we're together and I love being together as God's people. He's not messing with me because I have to stand up here in front of you. I don't care about that. What I care about is how I show up and the way he's gonna hijack that is in the morning when he talks to me about what I look like. 
This is how it influences us. And not to mention that, but we live in a chaotic world, anybody? I am in this space where I am in information overload. We live in an information age, but I'm like, no more. I don't want to learn anything else about anything else. I don't want to know anything else from Twitter. I don't want to know anything else from Instagram. I know how to put all my makeup on 16 different ways. I know how to train my waist. I know how to do all the weird things that are on Instagram. And it's information overload because all of that is, is loaded and packed with agenda as well. And all of those things are, are circling us. All of these narratives and agendas, most of them, by the way, marked by half-truths and distorted virtual reality, shaping our world rather than simplicity and honesty and authenticity. This is what we're bombarded with. This is what's going into my mind week in and week out. This week, I was like, turn it off. I can't handle it anymore. It's so overwhelming to my brain. And this is what's influencing me as I'm in the car driving, as I'm showing up and meeting with different people. All these things shaping my reality. All of these things are fighting for our attention, making then this practice of the mind and the heart that much more important. John Wartburg once again says, words will inevitably abide in us. The question we have to answer tonight is what words are abiding in us? If you did an inventory of the mind, how would you say your words or your thoughts are shaping your lives today? What words tonight are shaping how you showed up to this place? What, what words and uh, thoughts are shaping your relationships right now? Shaping your reality, how you view the world and how you view yourself in it. And how many of those words and thoughts are God's words? And I don't mean God's word. I mean God's words. Do you know what I'm saying? God's apostrophe S words. How many of those are actually shaping our reality? If we, like Jesus, want to live into the fullness of the kingdom of God, of who we are and of what God is doing in and around us, we must be people who know his words. If we don't, I fear that many of us will miss out on experiences of healing and comfort and warfare, in part because we aren't awake, nor do we have the knowledge or language for what we're seeing, and we'll either dismiss it altogether or we'll just fear it. But even more than that, I fear that, that we'll miss out because we've disqualified ourselves through the work of the enemy in our minds, ultimately allowing deception and temptation to have the final word and causing us to miss out on the invitations of the kingdom of God that are right before us. If we don't know and memorize and work the words of scripture in us, we'll miss out on a life of intimacy with God, which another way to say that is life with him. The beauty of the scriptures of God's word is that they're not simply information. Yes, they are knowledge and literature and language. They are those things, but there's so much more than that. In these words, there's actual power to unlock wisdom. One of the prayers I've prayed most faithfully my whole life has been that God would make me wise, which sounds really noble, but it's because I need a lot of help. Anybody else? Since I was little, I was like, I'm asking for the wisdom of Solomon because I'm here for that. Whatever he has, it unlocks things. I'm one of those people who likes MacGyver in the, the like mind sense, where I'm like people who are like, man, I'm strategically able to unlock emotions in people and work. Anybody else creepy like that? Anyway, I'm like that. So the wisdom of God, I'm so desperate for because it's his words that unlock realities for people. And I love when God does that. I love when I see God do these incredible works before my eyes. That's the wisdom of God. So these words actually have the power to unlock wisdom in us, to reset and reframe our thinking, 
to even undo old, unhelpful patterns of thinking and to transform them into something that gives us access to the mind and the will of God. Turn with me over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Look down at verse two. Paul writes this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. In this passage, Paul is talking about both the act of undoing or uh, shedding an old way of thinking and ultimately being changed by uh, or transformed by this phrase he, he uses, renewing of your mind. Now, renewing our mind is just fancy language for exchanging and replacing old thoughts with new ones. It's taking God's word and letting them shift and correct and inform our lives. And as we do this, we're told, we will know the will of God for our lives. We will know what God's after. We'll know what he wants, what his heart is, and we'll know truth. Um, myself included, so many of us, we are so desperate to be like Jesus, to become like him, to practice what he did in the world. This is our mantra. This is what we want. And he's inviting us to do that. So many of us want to know what the will of God is for our lives. We're, we're bumping around here like, I don't know what God's will is. I just want to give you a, a little tip. This is step one. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, if you want to know what he's thinking about, what he cares about, you want to invite him into spaces where he can inform your reality, this is how we do it. This is how we become people who are in agreement and in sync with God's will and his heart, which is what we're actually after, allowing him to inform the way that we view the world, the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view other people. This is how it happens. If we're to become people who combat the lies and the work of the enemy, then we're gonna to have to know God's word. If we're gonna be people who are comforted and at peace in a world of tragedy and chaos, we will have to know God's word. If we're gonna be people who are unafraid and full of strength, when the ground falls out from underneath us, we will have to be people who know God's word because in his words is life, real life. These words are living and active. Eugene Peterson talks about it this way. He says, Christians feed on scripture. Holy Scripture nurtures the whole community as food nurtures the human body. Christians don't simply learn or study or use the Scripture, we assimilate it. Take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in the company of the Son. God gave us his words, not just so we could practice them and spew out religious rhetoric, we have plenty of that, but so that we could know him, so that we could experience truth as it really is. If we've ever needed to experience truth as it really is, it's now. Over and against our past, over and against what culture's been saying, over and against the loudest voice screaming at us, he's given us this truth so that we can be free. The question is, are we up for it? And if so, are we willing to do it? And how do we do it? I'm glad you asked, I'm gonna answer that question. <laughs> I think it's three things. I think we need to meditate, memorize, and repeat. MMR, anybody? 
That stick with you? No. Let's talk about the first one, meditate. In the scripture, scriptures, we're invited to know God. It's this huge invitation and to know his words. But knowledge is not just knowing something. It's, it's a knowledge about something and it's also an experience, which means we'll have to read God's word. We'll have to get to know, uh, we'll have to get knowledge about them, yes, but we'll also have to experience them. We'll have to have personal contact and interactions with his words. If we're gonna get God's word in us, it will have to be more than just reading them. It will require time and space to actually connect to them, to allow those words to meet us in a personal way. So it means you're gonna to have to sit with them like you'd sit with somebody and you sit with them until they do mean something. A lot of us keep coming to the scriptures like, scriptures like it's a slot machine, expecting for us to get something out of it in a moment. If we don't, it's over. It's just not impressed us enough. That's ridiculous. Sorry, that, that's my mother voice, Oof. <laughs> but it is ridiculous. We have the opportunity to come and sit at God's word and allow it to change us instead of us changing it. This is our opportunity to lean in and wait until it means something. Allow the spirit of God to do the work that he needs to do. You gotta give it time. It's not something that just happens all the time. Now, sometimes it does, but not all the time. So sit with it, interact with it, ask questions and get more context. God, what does it mean uh, to be renewed in the mind? I don't know what that means. What are you after? So I look it up and I study it and I go, wow, this is so many implications for my life. What would it mean if the people of God had renewed minds in this city? What would we see? What realities would we see? Who would we engage? How would we save ourselves from generational sins because of the leadership of the spirit of God through his word? This is the life that we find as we sit with God's language. We ask good questions. We get more context. We define words and language. Not just until our mind gets it, but our soul understands it. That's the purpose of meditation. This is how we go deep. This is how we move from these words being common to being transforming. And this is what we've got to do, meditate on the words. Now, once you've spent time meditating on them, you should be familiar with them and know them. And knowing them and having them in your heart and mind, by the way, aren't the same thing. We want to move beyond having an encounter with these words, which is meaningful and really important, to actually having these words in us, in our mind and in our heart, which means we're going to have to put them to memory. Ooh. Now, for, for millennia, don't freak out. For millennia, people have been committing things to memory, and that has served as a foundation for religious and political and edu educational instruction. This is how people have done it. Uh, science says that memorization has something called staying power, which is this ability to maintain a commitment beyond and despite fatigue, which I love. Scripture memorization has staying power. It has stamina to supersede what your experience is in the moment, to call you forward in ways that no other thing on earth can call you forward. It has staying power. It won't leave you on the darkest night even the words that Gerald was speaking of here as he prayed at the beginning, they were words from Psalm 139. They are stuck to him, stuck to his soul that he's even praying them over and for us. This is what memorizing scripture does for us. Now, um, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I wanna say it. We don't have stark, uh, such stark realities, but when I think about memorizing the Bible, and I was talking to my sister about it this week, we do not think about people who don't actually have access to the Bible. You know, we're pretty gluttonous with our Bible consumption. I can get like 16 different Bibles. Some are pretty, some are ugly. Uh, some have weird tabs in them, which are helpful. Um, we have access to so many Bibles. But as I was thinking about it this week and thinking about memorization, I was thinking about the persecuted church. There are brothers and sisters all across the globe tonight who are suffering for the name of 
Jesus who have put these words to memory because that is their life. Because they don't have anything else. They don't have a written word. Maybe it's not in their language or maybe they don't have access to this book, but that's what they're doing. And I just thought, oh God, have mercy on me because I'm so gluttonous. I just go like, oh yeah, maybe I'll read it if I'm interested. I mean, like, I mean, I don't do that. I'll get fired, but, uh, but, uh, but you do, you do that, right? Yeah, some of y'all got your, anyway, your biscuit buttered, but there it is. All I to say, it was just a stark reminder to me that some people have to put these words to memory for their life's sake. And we go, oh, I have to memorize something. And I just, I wonder how it would shape our minds if we could consider what a gift it was. That some people are having to put this in their mind and heart tonight because they're going to be in prison for the next 20 years for the sake of the gospel. It's good for us to remember, church, the gift we have and even getting to put this to memory. It's through the practice of memorization that we actually begin to map and align our life to the mind of God. And that's a gift. And I don't want us to miss that. Um, when we memorize things, it's scientifically proven that we're actually freed up to think more critically about the world around us. And again, if we've needed to think critically, it's now. We need to be able to think critically about what's happening. Things are happening so fast. We need the truth accessible to us. We need to be able to access what God thinks about certain situations as we face them day in and day out. Memorizing God's word, putting them in your memory makes these words accessible to you at all times. And it allows you to think correctly having words and language for experiences happening in you and around you, to have words and language for other people, words and language for prayer, all of that hopefully freeing you up then to move into invitations that God has extended to you. We don't just memorize for the sake of memorization, but we do it as as disciples to train our hearts and mind to listen and learn what the voice of God sounds like. So many in our community, we're desperate to hear God's voice. We're we're asking for a continued move of the Holy Spirit of God, but a lot of the ways that he speaks are with his words and with his images and with his language. If we wanna know the voice of God, you've got to know his words. You've got to know how he's speaking. And when you, you have knowledge of his language and that's combined with the movement of the Spirit of God, that's something that's indescribable. Those are those holy and prophetic moments. And that's what we're after. When we memorize scripture, we're shaping our minds in the moment to mimic the structure and mindset of God himself. And that is extraordinary. That he would allow us to do that, church, is unthinkable and a radical gift. Next, repeat. Repeat steps one and two. Or if you're Brian McKnight, repeat steps one through three. (laughs) My God, this church is so under-discipled. Unbelievable. (laughs) the Brian McKnight song? One, you're like a dream come true. What is happening? It is Valentine's Day week. Brothers, wake up. Brian McKnight is going to be your friend. Church be blessed. It's the best week of the calendar year. I cannot wait. I've got my earrings on. I'm very excited. I don't have a date. I do. I have a date uh, with a small human and I'm stoked. Uh, Okay, Brian McKnight for the win. Everyone put that in your pocket. Go home, take a listen. It'll bless you. That joke bombed this morning too. This church, it's a shame. All right, practice repetition when it comes to scripture. Often we think things like, I just can't do something. It's too hard. It's not coming right away. Um, I just don't have a mind that works that way. I have a brother uh, who has learning disabilities and he's not like, it's not, whatever. He just has had, you know, dyslexia and different things. And this brother can memorize anything. So I just don't really buy that as a total excuse because he's pretty impressive that way. It's, 
specifically the Brian McKnight song he knows very well. <laughs> He's a spiritual leader, that's it. Now, we all learn differently, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but when it comes to the scriptures, repetition is key for all people, from little tiny humans to us adults. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Repetition involves giving something our full attention. That's why it's so powerful. It involves practicing and reviewing something over and over again. And by the way, when we do this, there's space for God to actually do a transformative work in that reality. He can correct us and rebuke us and give us better thinking or train us. Because it's through the space of repetition that knowledge and skills are actually built and even developed in such a way that we can actually embrace what we're learning. Not just know it, but actually embrace what we're learning in ways we wouldn't otherwise be able to. Bonhoeffer had this gorgeous quote I have to read to you about scriptures. He says this, The words of scripture should never stop sounding in your ears and working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. And just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. Do not ask, how shall I pass this on? But what does it say to me? Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. Repetition trains the mind to focus and be alert and it anchors the soul in a way that brings true transformation. And that's what we're after. Now, I know that a lot of this can feel like a lot. You're like, ugh, that's like another thing you're asking us to do. You're so bossy, true. (laughs) But I wanna be clear about something about this practice, at least I think. This isn't something for the most part that we're calling you to do to add um, to what you're already doing. It's more simply us calling you to do what you're already doing just in a different way to exchange your words for his words, to replace your narratives with his narratives, to hold on to truth over lies, which by the way, your brain is not built to hold on to a lie. So that's why it feels hard to do. We just have to have a lot of them in order to be crazy. Yeah, anybody? Your brain is actually hardwired to hold on to truth. So do some science work on that, that'll be fun. (laughs) To know God's word and to have them in us is key to becoming like him. And we gotta get after this. This is what we're called to do. So we've written a little something for you on practicingtheway.org slash scripture. And in it, we're gonna invite you as a church community to lean into this practice of meditation and more specifically memorization. And the hope is that this week you'll get God's word in you. Even if it's just a small step, if it's one lie being replaced in your mind, I wonder what that would do for your whole week. Wonder what would happen if God just changed one lie for one truth. This practice for me uh, has been a lifelong journey. Some of my earliest childhood memories are centered around trying to learn the scriptures at home or at church. We were not in a cult, we were just Baptist. (laughs) (laughs) Every night in our hallway, there was a tape player because that was the year and time. And from it would come songs that were laced with scripture. I mean, night after night after night. To this day, I can sing you songs about keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. You gotta hold your tongue. Keep your tongue from evil, keep your tongue. Do you get it? Yes, good, right? And then I can also uh, sing a song about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. Okay, yeah, some of you are in. Okay. <laughs> Were we all singing Steve Green at the same time? I love that. And these, um, those aren't even my greatest hits, by the way, but also... Uh, <laughs> These were songs that were in me. They were in our home a ton. My parents just did a brilliant job pouring the scriptures into who we are. 
They love the word of God, both my parents, and that's been an extraordinary gift to me. Parents, don't underestimate that. They're watching. Um, you know, I've had seasons when memorizing and meditating on scriptures was easy and when it was really hard. When I was motivated by candy, yes, and when I was motivated by the desperation to keep my mind at peace. Even last night, I had a really violent um, nightmare, and I woke up and I was terrified. And I'm not usually terrified. Usually, I'm like, "Get behind me, the you know devil." I'm just like, I am. I am like that. Uh, but last night, I woke up and was afraid. And I remember, it's so weird, I had this memory come back to me in that same moment of when I was first afraid, and I remember using scripture against the enemy. I was in my dad's office, and we had this old church building we lived in, or we lived in, no. <laughs> nope. Uh, he was at, and I was in his office by, my, him, by myself, and I was like seven or eight or something, and it was creaking and making weird noises, and it always smelled weird, like Wednesday night supper. Anyway, um, and I was in there, I was really scared. Something happened, and I got really afraid. I honestly think it was probably something demonic. Um, and I remember saying to myself, the, the scripture, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. And I remember saying it out loud over and over again. And last night, I said the same scripture immediately. It came right out of me. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And then, um, and then I, uh, just, I started quoting uh, Psalm 23, because I'm like, that's the only one I can remember right now. And it's like, 338, the Lord's my pastor. What? <laughs> um, and I had to do that for a long time in order to, to find peace. Um, all that to say, the scriptures in me uh, has shaped so much of who I am and who I've always wanted to be. It continues to do that. If people are like, oh, I want to be like this, that, or the other. And the scriptures have really made me in a way I could never have asked for into the person I was hoping God would make me to be. So for me, this practice isn't just something I do because it really helps me in my job, and it does, <laughs> or uh, because I need to have something awesome to say to you, and I do. That's the expectation. I'm way too selfish for all of that. I do it because this practice for me is one of the primary ways, if not the way, I encounter the presence and reality of Jesus in my life, day in and day out. It is the gravity within me. Um, I shared with you all back at Christmas that uh, this has been a season of grieving for me. And if you know anything about grief, uh, she is not to be tamed. She is a wild woman. One minute you're fine, the next minute you're just like, not fine, you know? And uh, in it, your mind is often like this tilt-a-whirl. Anybody know that ride? What a disaster. Don't want to do that. It's loud and all over the place and people are throwing up. It's like that. <laughs> and honestly, that's what it's been like for the last few weeks in my mind. Um, my, my mind, in a way, um, has been just all over the place. Loud, especially when I'm trying to go to sleep. It's just like, rah, 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 and confusing. And I'll be thinking one thought that I think is brilliant, and then I'll begin to question that thought immediately, and then think another thought and question that thought immediately, and the cycle continues, and it's a joy. Um, and, and what I can tell you, what I want to tell you tonight, is that having God's words in me, God's words in me, has saved me in a thousand ways like over and over again, not just in this season, but in a million other seasons. When I haven't known what's true, which is what grief does to you, everything's flipped upside down and topsy-turvy and the whole thing, but I haven't known what's true, what the right thing is I'm supposed to be thinking about or doing, when I haven't felt God's presence or his leading, when his, uh, when his words seem more aimless to me or like I'm in worship, I'm like, I can't find you. You know, that feeling where you're like, I don't know where I'm at or what's going on. His words, these words, these written words have been one of the only things that has kept me upright and level. He has been, me and David, same boat. He has been my compass in this season. Truly, I have woken up hungry for God's word in the sense that I need help. And this is the place where I find it. His words along with his spirit call me 
and have always called to me in a way that nothing on earth calls to me. And it does call me to deeper trust. It calls me to see beyond my circumstances to what he's doing. The scriptures remind me that what I'm seeing is not the whole picture and it's not the sum total. Reminds me that God, even when he doesn't feel good, is good and will be faithful. And I have cashed in on these freaking promises over and over again. And that has just been one benefit to my life. I have a basquillion I could tell you about. His word in the morning washes over me in a way that nothing else on earth washes over me. These words do something to me that nothing I've experienced in this world has done to me. They've healed me and they've bound me and they've kept me and they've comforted me and they don't even make sense. Sometimes I'm reading about weird stuff like currently the temple, wah, wah. And for some reason, sorry, God, that's whatever. It's good. Uh, um, even the practice of reading about the temple, which I have done 9,000 times, and we all know we're skipping, amen? We're like, uh, got it. On to Matthew. <laughs> even that practice has brought healing and gravity to me because I remember seasons in which I read this and found delight in it in a way I haven't in this season. These words keep us alive, and they are alive, and they continue to testify to us and will not only what we need to know about God, but prophetically what he's after in our lives. That's what these words do. They testify to new truths and new realities about God's character over and over and over again. This practice is not a ritual for me and it's not always easy. I'm not just like, oh God, I can't wait to memorize stuff. Yeah, right. I like Netflix like you do, same. But it is also essential for life, for me, and not just because I'm a pastor and not just because I work with these people and not just because I work with the people, but because I need it for my life. 